Good morning, everyone. Uh, I don't know most of you, it seems, and I, I thought to share a little bit about some of my history as a, a way for us to know each other a little better. The problem is, you will now know me better, and I still won't know you. <laughs> uh, it happened this week. Uh, I don't know if you remember my first month here. Every Sunday, Pastor Bert would say, go introduce yourself to Brock. He doesn't know your name. Because uh, this is my home church, and so many people remember me from when I was smaller and less bearded. And the only two people who introduced themselves to me were my dad and my Sunday school teacher. <laughs> so I, a lot of, it happened this week. Somebody came into the office, and uh, they said, can you tell Pastor Bird I was looking for him? I said, sure. What's your name? He's like, you know me. I'm really sorry. I, I know your face. I know you go here. I know you've been here for a long time. We have never spoken. It's like, yeah, you know me. I'm like, I, I don't know your name. Anyway, it was a, a, a funny instance, uh, a kind of side effect of me being up here and me speaking with you. You know me, and I don't know you. So I'm going to share a little more about myself, and you'll know me a little better. Um, we came here uh, out of kind of a, a an interesting season of our life. Uh, I grew up here and then I went off to college at Kingswood where Alice is, uh, where Pastor Burt went. And out of there, I uh, got married, surprise, Bible college. And my wife and I, when we'd been married for almost a year, we moved to South Korea. And we went for one year, quote unquote. Uh, we stayed for five years. Uh, so that was us. That is uh, a Korean uh, housing uh, apartment complex in behind it, and it's, it's interesting, one of those complexes, they have 20 or so high-rise buildings, has more people in it than Napanee, and it's in one block. It, it's fascinating how dense things are there, and uh, the, the culture shock, I don't know if you're familiar with that term, culture is what's normal, what's expected, what's valued, an understood purpose that we know what it's for. And the more things that are shared, the more you have in common, and the deeper all of those things are felt, the, the deeper, the quicker the connection is. Uh, it, it, maybe it's happened to you. You've seen someone with the same car as you driving down the road, and you have this instant like, hey, we, we have the same car. We have somehow a, same, a shared value. Maybe you got them for different reasons, but there's this connection that we are alike. Um, and it's kind of like, oh, hey. And you don't call them. You don't pull over and make friends. It's just a quick, brief connection. But if you're out somewhere and you see someone wearing the same jersey as you, there's a, a little deeper connection maybe, depending how much you care. No leaves, no. Um, but culture, shared values, expectations, and purpose. Culture shock is when these things are opposed. When you expect something, when you think something will be valued or have a purpose and it doesn't, or you think something is meaningless and it turns out it does have meaning, uh, it can be shocking, jarring, and confusing. So just a couple experiences I had in Korea. Uh, I'm from here and grew up where there is very low density. My grandparents live north of Verona. I don't know if you know where that is. They live on a road, I think at the time it had 17 houses with like 20 people in them uh, total, not each. Uh, I was used to having space, but Seoul has 25 million people in the metro. It's, it's a lot of people. I was looking up some stats. Uh, Seoul proper is 20 by 30 kilometers, and there are 9 million people there. 
So this was a, a protest that went on there, and that's not as dense as Seoul can be. Um, so the, the metro, 20 by 30, has 9 million people in it. So if you do the math on that, that's 16 people every meter. It's a lot of people. The, the density there was, was alarming. And uh, they were all on subway number two during rush hour. Uh, yeah. I, I can remember one day I didn't really know the subway that well. I knew how to get places, didn't know the times to avoid, and hopped on the train. And there was, I think, like eight people touching me all at once. And some poor lady, I'm taller than a lot of them, and some poor lady could stand no other way but having her nose pressed in my armpit. And it was, it was cozy. The, uh, the subway stations, they are fantastic, wonderful. The, uh, I took the stairs because I thought it was good exercise, and the elevator and escalator took forever. It was 11 flights of stairs down to get to the subway, really, really deep underground. And somehow, they still had Wi-Fi there, free Wi-Fi when you rode the subway. Like, there's, there's no Wi-Fi on my drive here. There, there's no cell reception on a couple of the roads here. But you can stream videos there for free. Uh, it's, it's very interesting how crowded it was. Uh, Koreans don't have a normal word for sorry, like I bumped into you. They don't, they don't really say that. They have a phrase for, I'm so sorry I have sinned against you and your family, which isn't what you say when you bump into somebody on the street. <laughs> so they, they just generally don't apologize. They have this really cute thing that couples do, that like a cutesy romantic apology sounds almost identical to their word for apple. So it's a romantic gesture. If you offend your significant other, you give them an apple, and that's, that's cutesy. But I didn't want to carry around a bushel of apples, and nobody else did. So. <laughs> People just didn't apologize, and uh, it, it was interesting. And my inability to communicate um, kind of made things harder. I had a really good Korean accent. I don't know why I, I got it really well, um, that people thought I could speak the language. And I'm, I'm more Asian-looking than a lot of the other white people there. So I had a friend who was fluent. He had taken the, the government classes, and he had a government certificate that says he is fluent in Korean. And we'd go somewhere, and he would be speaking fluent Korean to them, and then they would look at me and speak Korean, assuming that I would translate for him, because he's white and I'm less, less white. Um, yeah, But my ability to respond was very limited. People thought I had really good language skills, and I was trying to say, like, I really I don't know that much. Please please dumb things down. And they said, no, you, you have a great accent. And you, you always seem to understand. And like context clues get you so far. I counted one day, though. I knew 200 words in Korean in five years. It's pretty, pretty pitiful. Dwayne and Leslie are laughing at me. Um, pretty pitiful language skills. But it, it kind of had its perks that when I was in a very crowded subway, I was kind of in an island to myself. I was surrounded by people, and we all understood that I can't talk to you and you can't talk to me, and we were just able to enjoy or not enjoy our space. Um, but it made it very interesting. If someone was rude to me, I didn't have the ability to respond, which just kind of freed my heart to not have to respond. I didn't have to engage with road rage or rudeness. 
because I was unable to. And uh, I was just able to accept the things I couldn't change. Uh, we, we ended up viewing space very differently. Um, I just looked this up last night, actually. It was kind of sad it took me this long. Uh, they don't measure their apartments in square footage. They have their own Korean unit. It's called Pyon, P-Y-O-N. And our apartment, our biggest apartment that we had for three years was nine Pyon, which uh, I thought, like, it, it's got to be close to the size of the house we're renting right now. And no, it was 320 square feet. That's a two-bedroom apartment uh, somehow. But yeah, it, it was cozy. We had the two of us and two dogs and two bedrooms and... There, there wasn't much space. Uh, our first Christmas break when we came back to Canada, we were awestruck by all the space that we had forgotten that Canada had. And we had to stop the conversation and remark when we were driving home that look at all the space while we were in Toronto. That we, <laughs> we were just overwhelmed. The sight lines were huge. Seoul has about 45,000 foreigners uh, in, the, in the city proper, and that's uh, non-residents. It's not foreigners who have immigrated. They're, they're people on short-term work visas, 45,000 of them. So our church was specifically focused on reaching foreigners. We had an English service, and it was, it was kind of our refuge. Uh, can we go to the next photo? I think it's number five. Uh, our first weekend there, I was just overwhelmed with the culture shock and just how strange everything was. We walked up to a bakery on a Saturday, and I was so intrigued. What, what kind of bread do Koreans have? And they had these flat breads that were braided looking, and like, oh, that looks good, and there's some red sauce on it. Like, is that a, is that a pizza bread? No, it's, it also had like a white sauce drizzled in it, and then sliced up hot dogs with corn as toppings. And I'm like, what is, what is that? And that was their like normal bread snack. It was ketchup, mayonnaise, hot dogs, and corn. Cold on bread. <laughs> so I, I wasn't super into that as I got closer, but I saw this, and I thought, oh, wow. At least Boston creams are universal. And I, I opened my wallet to the baker, and they just took some money, and I don't know to this day if they took $1.50 or $15. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know enough about the money to know how much they took, but they took some money. I got a donut. And I walked away with Kim so excited that, like, we have found our spot. Whatever weirdness is going on, we can come to this bakery every day, buy our Canadian donuts. It'll be great. And I took a huge bite, expecting custard. And you know that thing that, like, it might not have been so bad if you didn't expect that it was something else? Uh, their their favorite filling there is kidney bean paste. <laughs> and it, it did not taste like custard. They, uh, they sold peanut butter sandwiches at the grocery store in a bag. You could buy a loaf of peanut butter sandwiches. Uh, but if the bread is square, the peanut butter is just a little circle in the middle. And it's whipped, like whipped butter, and it's sweetened. And there's no jam. And it wasn't a very good sandwich. Um, I, was, I was mostly illiterate, as I've said. And one of the brilliant things our employer did when we arrived, they gave us a business card with our home address on it, written in Korean. So we could just say, like, with that stupid foreigner look, say, please help me. But you have to communicate that with your eyes. We got really good at looking dumb and helpless, pitiful. Please, please help. And uh, I figured out the phrase 
to tell the taxi, like, please take me here. And you just hand him the card and he punches it in the GPS and off we go. And uh, that's, that's how we got around. Um, we, were, we were foreigners. It was interesting. Uh, we, we couldn't call the phone company like, to, to check what our phone bill is, to update any services. We just signed a contract at the phone store and hoped it was a good one. Um, we, we couldn't read our rental agreements for our apartments. There was a like, five-page document. There were several dotted lines that had an X beside it that I guess that meant we had to sign it. Um, and there were some numbers written there. And like numbers were numbers. Um, so I guess the smaller number is monthly. And then there's a deposit. And it would be great if it was annual. But no, that was the, the monthly fee. Um, we, we had this beloved grocer, the, uh, the joys of density. On our less than kilometer walk home from our bus stop, there was three grocery stores on our walk home. So you could walk by the big grocery store and get your fresh fish, and then the next one, you could get the stuff you forgot, and then there was one across the street from us that you could get all the other little things. And we developed this relationship with the guy across the street. Never learned his name. Uh, we could barely say more than good morning or hello. And uh, we had this great fondness and warmth, and we were exchanging gifts at Christmas time. He carved Kim a comb out of a block of wood. Like, it's beautiful. Um, I can't imagine how long that took to saw down the teeth in this comb. But uh, the, the density was, was wonderful. They had this food delivery service, um, which I don't know if you guys have tried Skip the Dishes or Uber Eats or anything like that, but this was a long time before that was a thing, and they had little mopeds like my motorcycle, and uh, a, a basket on the back, and for $4, they would drive to any of the big restaurants and deliver the food that's non-delivery. So that quickly became our date night of, let's stay home and get delivery. And uh, we ate so much. Uh, we were told before we left that Koreans don't really do coffee, so make sure you bring lots of coffee. You probably won't be able to buy any. So I brought 10 pounds of coffee beans in my suitcase. Suitcases are supposed to be under 50 pounds. 10 of it was coffee. And we got there, and in our neighborhood, uh, I, I saw there was a cafe. And I thought, well, that's cool. I'll, I'll keep the coffee sleeve. And found another cafe and made it a kind of goal of, oh, I'm just going to, you know, cheap free souvenir, I'll take the sleeve off my coffee, and that'll be my keepsake. There were a hundred cafes in my neighborhood. I think it was three square kilometers, a hundred cafes. And then we moved, and there was a new neighborhood, and a new set of cafes, and we moved again. The, the, uh, the density was overwhelming. They had districts for anything you could like. There was a street that was the pet district, and you could walk down the street, and there was 30 pet stores, all with identical-looking dogs. There was a furniture district that if you wanted office furniture, you walk down this street, and there's just, the whole street is just office furniture stores. If you wanted electronics, there was a mall that was just electronics. Floor one was cameras, floor two was phones, floor three was just computers, in a whole mall, like the Cat Center. It's ridiculous. The, uh, the convenience was, was wonderful. They had this really fancy movie theater that we went to once. Someone gave us a gift card, so we, we got to go for free. And when you walked up to the gate of the theater door, they had a little trolley there with free drinks. I'm like, well, yeah, I'd, I'd love a free pop at the movies. 
And then we get to our seat and there's a little buzzer button that if you push it, a waiter comes to take your order for your movie snacks. You don't have to carry your popcorn in. Uh, in front of our seat, there was a footrest and on it was blankets and pillows and slippers. There was a little lamp on the table between us. It, it was quite this thick, swanky theater. But uh, it, it wasn't all delights there and ignorance. We also lived in this kind of low-level threat of danger, uh, that there was imminent talk of war the whole time we were there. Uh, and we lived two kilometers from the U.S. military base in Seoul, so uh, we were told that we were in shelling distance of North Korea, that they used traditional artillery, and if they were to choose to invade, they would soften up Seoul for a week first with bombardments, and they've been stockpiling ammo for years, so they could just keep up a constant shelling for a week. So we had a bag packed our entire time there with a plan A, B, and C if we were at work or at home or at church. And if we are separated, how do we meet up? How do we get the bag? How do we start the 500-kilometer walk to the portal city in the south? And uh, we, we didn't realize how odd and heavy that kind of just undergirding reality was to us until we had moved back here and there was a thunderstorm. And we ran to the window to check if it was artillery fire. And it, and it wasn't. It was, it's a thunderstorm. You guys never hear thunder and think, was that cannons? Uh, fireworks was always a, a startling time. Because as Canadians, Independence Day would roll around and all the Americans would be celebrating, celebrating firing off fireworks. And we'd rush to the window and say, oh, it's only fireworks. We'd forgotten. It's the fourth. Um, and we, we didn't realize... The, the weight that that was. And thankfully, they've arrived at a, a greater measure of peace since we left. Um, but there was, there was lots of culture shock. Some of it was good and enjoyable, like cheap delivery and awesome theaters. Some of it was hard. Some of it was odd. Uh, but while we were there, we lived, we lived like foreigners. We celebrated the snow. I don't know if you remember that first photo of Kim and I in raincoats. Uh, that's what we wore in the winter there, because we're Canadians and tough, and we really leaned into that, that, you know, it's only minus 20, who needs a winter coat? Uh, that we wore just a sweater and a raincoat, and we, sit, we would kind of laugh at all the, the Koreans and the people from Florida who couldn't deal with anything below freezing. And uh, that, was, that was fun. And then summer rolled around, and it's 30 or 40 degrees, so we hid inside. Uh, they get a foot of rain. 12 inches of rain in July and another foot in August. It's, it's wet. And we had raincoats, but we, we didn't really want to wear them when it's 30 or 40 degrees. So we hid inside all summer, uh, our first year. And it's interesting, the, uh, the thing that foreigners and Koreans alike love to talk about, it's not, it's not the weather, it's, it's not the temperature. Uh, they love to talk about the air quality. Uh, the pollution. There's a, a, a curious phenomenon there. There's so much air pollution that depending on the day, it limits your visibility. So it's, it's hard for you to see the difference here. Um, but we had a, an apartment with a view that faced across the river. Our, our rooftop is actually in a movie scene. In Avengers 2, you can see our rooftop. And I'm, I'm really proud. I think Captain America rolled across my neighbor's roof. Um, <laughs> It's pretty cool. Uh, but you could see several kilometers across the river into the, the financial sector 
and see all the big skyscrapers. And they had a building there that the whole side of the building, they'd rigged up with lights that it would show the time and had these cool animations on the building. And it, it was really cool. But if the pollution was too bad, you couldn't see that building five kilometers away. And if it was really bad, you couldn't see the river a kilometer away. And people just love to talk about it. If you have to small talk with somebody, you could comment on the air quality. You remember that one day this week? You couldn't see anything? It was so bad. People, uh, if you slept with your window open, you could get sick. And for years before COVID was a thing, people exercised with face masks on to limit how much dust came in your lungs. And I, I was too soft that I, I couldn't deal with exercise with a mask on. So I just really believed that verse in Acts that the, uh, if the missionary goes and gets bit by a scorpion or a snake, then they'll be all right because of the, the power of the gospel. And I was just believing that for my lungs. And so far, I'm okay. We, we lived like foreigners, though, not just in uh, the weather and that, but we also, uh, we didn't participate in a bunch of their cultural holidays. Uh, their cultural identity and history uh, is different than ours. We, we are fairly based on the Christian calendar still. We still have holidays on Christmas and Easter, and that's when we, we party. Their Thanksgiving, their New Year's things are about ancestor worship. And they have temples, and on Thanksgiving, you set a plate out on your dead ancestors' graves as an offering to them. And that was, that was very foreign to me, um, to go there as a teacher and to hear the cultural classes teaching that this is what we do to honor our ancestors and their spirits, that we give them food. We, we lived like foreigners in that we could see the difference there because we weren't steeped in it. We also lived like foreigners in the food we ate. Uh, this is a, a buddy of mine. His name was Paul. And a, a perk of the way we did church there, we had uh, a very large conglomerate of churches. We were a multi-site church, seven campuses, 700 people. Um, so my church that I went to was a secondary campus. So the lead pastor would preach at the big one Sunday morning and then someone would take a flash drive with the video recording across the city and bring it to our church in the afternoon, which meant that church started at 4 p.m. Can you imagine? So at this time, Sunday morning in Korea, Kim and I would be having brunch, uh, which kind of became a bit of a legend for the ministry teams we were on. Uh, I was on the media team, the tech team, and this was Paul, and it became a thing because none of them, they were all single and they didn't cook much. So when word got out that Kim and I cooked, they started visiting Sunday mornings. Um, so every Sunday morning, the tech team would come over for breakfast. And I had this one pan that I'd make pancakes in, and I'd pour in batter until it touched the edges, which meant the pancake was about this big around, and then it was like that thick. And suddenly you only want one pancake for breakfast and it became a challenge can you eat the whole pancake and this was paul's first day successfully eating a pancake uh, we didn't eat kidney bean paste we ate bacon and eggs and pancakes uh, another guy on the media team joe he was a chef and uh, him and his girlfriend would come over for supper and after he came over four times and we made him pasta every time he commented like how about how about next time we go out because i think his refined palate 
couldn't deal with eating the same thing over and over again. He, he never came over again. He always wanted to go for dinner. But anyway, we, we ate like Canadians. Uh, we made eggnog because we couldn't find it. We set up a full Christmas tree. We had a full Christmas dinner. I think I paid our first year there. Kim really wanted a Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, so we bought a 20-pound turkey for $120. It was, it was expensive, and we ate like foreigners. But we, came, we became more Korean. Um, we are more Korean now than when we left. We, we picked up the phrases, which this is a frustrating thing for you to hear that me share. There, there are phrases that don't translate. That there, there isn't a word in English to express the idea that they have in Korean. So it was very frustrating. For two years, people would be saying this phrase in Korean. They'd be talking in English, Korean phrase, English, English, English. And what's that mean? It's hard to explain. And after two years, we figured out the meaning of these phrases that don't mean anything to you because you don't understand the idea and I can't explain it to you. But Kim and I still use them now, that we, we became more Korean. We became public transit experts, and I really missed my 45-minute commute where I could just sit and read. For my master's, I did most of my homework on the bus to and from school because can you imagine getting in the car to go to work and you can just turn your brain on autopilot? I watched a whole movie one day to and from school because uh, I had an hour and a half sitting on the bus. And it's great, and I really dislike driving now. I, I love driving, but man, public transit, it was great. Uh, we fell in love with ramen. Have you guys ever had Mr. Noodles? It, it's better. Uh, it's better than that. It's good, though. Uh, it, it's like our craft dinner. It's cheap, easy, it's everywhere, it's satisfying. But because there's corner stores everywhere there, uh, all the corner stores also have your any flavor of ramen with hot water dispensers, with fresh eggs and boiled eggs and cheese slices and meats that you can make your own flavor of ramen right there. They have little sauce packets, like we have ketchup, that you can get fish sauce or barbecue or anything that you can make your own decadent ramen in a styrofoam cup on any corner. And we loved it. We ate their curry. We ate their, have you guys ever had quail eggs? I didn't know they were so good, but they are so good. They like boil them in a soy sauce type thing, but they are like a salted egg. You don't have to add salt. It's, it's permeated. It's delicious. They have smoked eggs. They, all the corner stores in the winter, they have hot sweet potatoes that you can just buy for a dollar. And a hand warmer is a dollar fifty. So why would you buy a hand warmer? Because this one you can eat. So when it's cold and you forgot your gloves, you buy a sweet potato and eat it while you're waiting for the bus. And your hands are warm. Your belly's full. It was delicious. It was great. We enjoyed the super convenience. Uh, before Amazon Prime was a thing, the, uh, the online stores there, there was two. There was one that's like a Canadian Tire, Walmart type thing, and another one that's a grocery store. If you ordered something before, I think it was 3 p.m., it would be at your house when you got home that day. So you could order, man, we're out of apples, but I wanted to have apples tonight. And you could order them on your afternoon coffee break, and it would show up at your door that night. It, it was pretty great. And uh, I thought I was really clever once because I wanted to do more baking, so I ordered 50 pounds of flour. And I thought, I know, I'm going to have the delivery guy get it up the three flights of stairs. 
I didn't check the shipping address that was set to the default last used address, which was my work address. So I carried it down the five flights of stairs from work on the subway, up the 11 flights of stairs, <laughs> up my hill, up the three flights of stairs, because I'm so clever. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. We learned to pray like Koreans. I don't know if you've ever uh, experienced how they pray. Uh, they pray with fervor, with passion. They pray out loud all together. So in a room like this, everyone prays out loud all at once. And it's this very dull, very loud roar that it's hard not to get caught up in and be encouraged. And they, they pray a lot. Uh, they had prayer at our church every Sunday for an hour before service started. There was prayer Wednesday night for another three hours, and Thursday morning, and every other Friday night, and once a month on Saturday afternoon, and a different weekend of the month sometimes for Saturday night. One weekend, uh, all the, the joint services just happened to converge. That uh, I, I counted it up. I felt like we were there all weekend, but between Friday night and Sunday night, we were at church for 48 hours. They have a, a longing, a fervency to be together. We prayed, we worshipped, we heard the word taught, and then we'd re-listen to the podcast. Uh, the church would put on seminars, they'd assign homework, and we were steeped in it. Because we become what we focus on. We had small groups that were required if you attended the church. We went on missions trips. Uh, I got to go to Japan and Nepal and Vietnam. And it was a privilege to go and to to see what they were doing and to be able to help them. Uh, but we become what we focus on. I became the guy known for baking his own bread and eating my own smoked ham because I, I didn't want to eat the Korean fish. Uh, and they were known as the people who prayed. In our desperation when we first got there, back in the, the kidney bean paste Boston cream days, uh, we were so alone. I don't know if you can imagine. We were illiterate, and we didn't have a car. So how do you get somewhere? Well, you have to use a map and a subway, but we can't read. Um, we, were, we were desperate to find church. It took us four weeks to find out how to get to the address we knew of where the church was. It took us a month. Um, but when we found community, we didn't want to go back. Uh, it, was, it was life to not be alone. And I think there's, this was one of our small groups we had. Uh, we were a bunch of 20-somethings, mostly single. Uh, I think in the 700 people who attended our church, there was five children. So the children's ministry was, was pretty light. Uh, and for our campus, for a long time, Kim and I were the only married couple there. And people didn't understand how to interact with married couples. That they would avoid us because they didn't want to interrupt our date. I'm like, it's Sunday service. Like, <laughs> we did not think that this was a date. Or they would split us up because you guys get to see each other all the time. Why would you want to be in the same small group? Because like, I really like her. <laughs> like, that's why I married her. Um, that they, just, they didn't know how to relate to married people. So we, we kind of made the way for the others. So some lessons from all this, um, from my life experience. What have I learned? Uh, it's really hard to know what's ahead. 
Um, we thought we would stay for a year. We signed a year contract and we thought, that'll be great. We'll pay down a bunch of money because uh, the salary was good. And we'll, we'll come home in a year. And it, it was longer. It was five years. Um, and after the second or third year, we kind of thought, maybe we'll stay forever. And then, and then we didn't. It's really hard to know what's ahead. So I think it would, be, it would have been helpful to us to have asked God, what's the plan here? And maybe hear his silence for, are we just staying for a year? That maybe his silence could have let us question. Maybe he would have told us. What's God doing in you? Have you asked him? There was a lot of focused time with God there. And it was continually challenged. We were continually challenged to engage. It was really good that we were all on the same page with the same teaching. Uh, and it had its own drawbacks that we did these sermon-based small groups. Um, but it, it was good. And we were found by people who were on the same page as us. And we helped each other keep moving. We found being together was super important. In culture shock, it was, it was huge, overwhelming. I don't know how single people did it when they moved there. Maybe they jumped in more. But it was kind of manageable with Kim. That I, I didn't know how to navigate anything. We didn't know how to find food at the grocery store because we couldn't read the labels. Um, but at least at home, I had Kim. And at church, I had these people that became our friends. So I feel like the takeaway from that is the, the necessity of community. And I don't know if you feel connected or do you feel alone or misunderstood. Um, but make, make your own community. Looking back on the, the people that became our friends there, some of them were incident, incidental friends that we just stumbled into, um, that we didn't know how we became friends. It was just we ended up rubbing shoulders enough that something stuck. Um, sometimes we stumbled into it, but sometimes it was done very intentionally. Uh, my friend who was fluent in Korean, and they, they would look at me and misunderstand him, partially because he learned Korean not in Seoul, and he had kind of the equivalent to a Nufi accent. Uh, it, it was really funny. Just one time, this is a total side note, we were taking a taxi, and Nathan and I, who has phenomenal Korean skills, uh, was trying to explain to the taxi driver where we're going, and the taxi driver keeps saying, huh? Like, he doesn't understand. And I said very slowly, with my 200 words, the address that Nathan was saying, and the taxi driver goes, oh. <laughs> so I, I never let him live it down, that I, he might know all the words, but I can actually speak Korean. <laughs> uh, he married a Korean lady, and they're <laughs> much better at it than me. But this, this friend of mine, Nathan, uh, when we first got there, we ended up doing a, a charity soccer game one Saturday, and he and I played on the same team, and I think he said good job once and pass, and that was it for conversations. And the next Sunday at church, uh, it was that awkward thing where we're in the bathroom, both at a urinal, and as we were leaving, he said, did we just become best friends? I think so. <laughs> oh, I, I guess we did. And super lonely Brock said, great, I have a friend now. 
It, it, it was wonderful. He was intentional, and it happened, and I kind of stumbled into it. But make your own community. It, it's hard, and it's worth it. Proverbs says two are better than one. And it says three are stronger still. And it's hard, but I don't think we can ignore the hardships for the easy way. It's, It's harder to be alone than to deal with all the drama of community. We need to take the good and deal with the bad. And maybe some of it you can shrug off like rude people bumping into you, that you just don't give a response and you forgive and move on. But I think the the struggle with this, um, it's hard to know what's helpful and what's incidental and what's a hindrance. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.23, it says, everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial. Which I've, I've heard that verse a thousand times, maybe you have too. And I hadn't realized until thinking about this. We need to know what we're trying to benefit. The purpose is the determining factor in this. It's beneficial to what? What purpose are you trying to benefit? If you know this, you can evaluate something if it benefits. The importance of knowing our values is that we can intelligently and accurately decide why you do or don't do something, and if it helps you. In my pocket here and on the floor, I have some change. This, this is about a $1.20, and it's enough to take the, the subway and the bus in Korea. And it's very important to know the purpose of, of these things, and if, if they're beneficial. This is, this is a Korean coin, and it's worth a dime. But this one is a Nepali coin, and it is worthless, useless in Korea. And this is plastic, and it's only good for play. And they all have their own use. Everything's, everything's fine, not everything's helpful. I had, I had a dollar in my pocket, but it, it wouldn't have helped me get on the bus, because only half of it fit that context. You have to know your setting, your intention, if you want to accomplish anything. All of the money is allowed. It's all helpful. Like, don't, don't burn it. Don't throw it away. But what's, what's your purpose? What's your context? Are you collecting and carrying currency that you can't spend, that you don't need? God has primarily called us to know him. He loves you, and he wants to know you. He wants to relate to you. And he said, everything is permissible, but what's beneficial? Is it, is it helpful? And God knows you will thrive when you're in community, when you're loving others. He has people that he wants you to love. He wants you to relate to them. And everything is permissible. You could do whatever with them. Is it, is it helpful? Is it helpful for them? Is it helpful for your relationship with God? If it's not helping you reach these two goals, it's dead weight. It took Kim and I about a year to settle into our life in Korea. Um, And it's a a highly mobile, high turnover culture. Our church community was systematized, and it was full of single, childless adults. 
who are all professionals, in whom we had lots of commonality and lots of free time. And we had our own baggage to work through. And we, we did work through it unremarkably and slowly over time. But it takes time to develop relationship. It took time for us to process what we were coming out of. We moved to Korea because we had just failed at church planning in Calgary. Um, and it, it was awful. And it didn't go well. Uh, we, we used the textbook bad approach. Uh, that has an 80% failure rate. Surprise, it didn't work. Uh, also, the oldest, wisest person on our church planning team was 23. Boundless wisdom. He's a great guy, but we were just too young. What, were, what are you coming out of? And what are you headed towards? There's a ton of information about God and spirituality available to us. And we need to be steeped in it, but only what's, what's beneficial. We'll never have enough of this knowledge because uh, it's meant to be food for our soul, to feed our life. We can never eat enough and say, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I don't need to eat again. There's no completion of knowledge or of maturity. I think, though, there is an arrival at purity, uh, a peak of momentum, of focus. That the edge of your focus isn't full of burrs. Uh, I was using a chisel yesterday and I, I pulled it out of the tool drawer and it had been knocked around. It didn't have a cover on the tip. And it had like five huge burrs in it. And it took me a bit of time to knock them all down and smooth it out and there's a little less chisel now that I had to wear it down. But now the chisel is, is good. It's not, it's not perfect. There's, there's room for improvement, but it's now effective and there's nothing hindering it. And I think that can be us. Maybe it's more like uh, my, my latest bike ride. I rode a mountain bike with those cool disc brakes. And man, it was hard work. And I biked down a hill and got tired. It's kind of sad. And I was thinking about why, why was that so hard? And I did some looking, and the brake is rubbing the whole time. The, the one brake caliper was engaged the whole ride. So even though I'm going downhill, I have to push. And I don't know if that's what your life feels like. That there's just resistance, that everything has drag. That there's something help, not helping me move forward. It's against my purpose and against my values. Sin is like that. It's this wearing down. Or maybe it's like an anchor. Has anyone ever biked with an anchor? I, I haven't tried it, but my wisdom says it's a bad plan. <laughs> and I think Satan, he is a, a masterful salesman. That he convinces us that it's good to carry this. It's good to do it. That it looks cool, it makes us feel good, or we're entitled to it but the consequences of having it fall off, of an anchor engaging while you're biking, would be catastrophic. And the marketing master, Satan, would say, yeah, but it hasn't yet. It's not that bad. You can manage that. We need to get rid of everything that hinders to press on. We need to tune our life that our brakes aren't rubbing, that there's not things that are easily managed that are just constantly wearing us down.
We need to ask God, what's my purpose here? And am, am I progressing towards it? Am I learning and healing, connecting and preparing? What's God preparing you for right now? What's he doing in you? One of the, uh, the, the glorious drawbacks, greatnesses of living somewhere for a year contract is there is a timeline. I have a year. I have a year in this house. I have a year at this job. And there was an end date. Uh, I find here we don't have that. We're just here. How long are you going to live here? How long are you going to work at your job? Hopefully forever, which is stable, but it's not very inspiring to action. And I think we can fall into complacency. What's he preparing you for? Jesus said his kingdom is near. His culture is available to us, that we can live in that and give the world a little culture shock, that we are not what they valued, expected, or thought normal, that we have a different purpose. What's your, what's your purpose? How are you bringing God's culture to the world around you? Because being Canadian isn't the same as being Christian, and I think that's becoming clearer to us. But it, it's harder for us to parse out because we're a fish in the water and we don't know what's wet. It's easy to look at ancestor worship and say, wow, that's so obviously wrong. Don't, don't do it. But there are things that we are steeped in that we have blind spots to. So what's, what's your identity? What's our, our group? Is it our team? How do we see ourselves? Our hobbies? Our family? Employment? God has an identity waiting for you. For you to unearth, learn, and live in. It's in his culture. It's in his norms and values. We get there by engaging with him. And we don't have to pray like the Koreans do. We can find our own way. We don't have to live somewhere super crowded. But God is speaking to us. Are, are we listening? I think it's fascinating. Uh, Scotia's ability to tune out what I am saying. I know she can hear me. And sometimes it's cute. And I say, come here. And she gives me the side eye and walks away. Uh, and then there are other times I can't tell. Like, did you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? And she's so distracted, she isn't listening. And I wonder if that's us with God. He wants to speak to us. And we get there by engaging. And lastly, he seems to grow us most and quickly and best when we're in a community. Do you, do you have one? Do you have people that are counting on you that you can count on? If you're lonely, ask them for help. If you don't have a community, find one. Maybe go to the bathroom. I don't know. It worked that one time. <laughs> Communities, they are guaranteed to be messy and confusing. Um, but it's worth it. Two are better than one. Engage with God and do so in community. I'm finding that love is the best context for someone to grow in their, in their wholeness. If you're in community for very long, it won't be long until you discover something that they do that frustrates you. 
And I found that confrontation and teaching isn't super helpful because usually that's just um, a symptom of a deeper thing. And love seems to be the salve that heals the deeper cracks. And quick rebukes seem to be more of a band-aid. Disciple-making and loving people, I think those are kind of like the different, what are they called, the quadrants of your heart? The discipleship and the loving, it's, it's all the same in a heartbeat. They're distinct, yet almost needlessly distinguished. So if we continually seek to engage with God, and we try to establish a community of people that we love, if we do these two things, we're keeping his, his two greatest values. He commanded us to love him to relate to him. And he commands us to love people, to make disciples. So as we close this service, maybe linger here and wait on God and give him time and space to speak to you. Or maybe head to the lobby for some coffee and tea and shoulder rubbing. Love God and find and care your people and receive this benediction. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration and comfort one another. Agree with one another and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen.